I'm Chance Storland, and welcome to the Marmot's Hole podcast, brought to you by CreeFM.net, an online radio station featuring independent musicians and original podcast content from the Korean Peninsula. I'm joined each week by Robert Kohler, a magazine editor here in Seoul, who for years operated the Marmot's Hole blog on rjkohler.com. Today, we'll be discussing uh, basically the many aspects of a big story that popped up last week with a bang. See what I did there, Rob? <laughs> Ooh, I see what you did there. <laughs> That's right. Last week, North Korea claimed it had tested a hydrogen bomb, which is, of course, the most powerful kind of nuclear weapon known to man. But the total energy released by the weapon was close to that of the previous three tests of just normal, you know, if you will, normal uh, atomic bombs. So there's a lot of doubt surrounding that claim that this was actually kind of the next level, a hydrogen weapon. So in response to this test on Friday, which was also Kim Jong-un's birthday, South Korea responded by restarting loudspeakers along the DMZ. Now, Rob, you'll of course remember that last time these loudspeakers were used, that was in retaliation for the landmine incident that led to heightened tensions between the two Koreas, but also led to an eventual statement of regret by North Korea for the entire incident. Uh, South Korea's defense ministry now says the speakers are playing K-pop music, which to some people in itself is a form of torture, um, as well as news, weather, and of course, criticism of the North. And uh, this can be heard up to 24 kilometers away at night and as far as 10 kilometers away during the day. Now, as a result, anxiety and fear are growing among people living near that inner Korean border as some residents fear the possibility of retaliation from the North, which is, you know, kind of this ever-present threat as the war didn't really end. There was an armistice, and there's always, you know, these events that happen back and forth between the two countries. Uh, however, while this is going on, many people actually don't seem to really care much about the situation. NPR has reported that, quote, for young South Koreans, the North's nuclear test is barely a blip. Noting that while older generations may remember a once unified Korea and, uh, of course, the conflict that tore it apart, that was decades ago. And younger Koreans haven't felt these tangible consequences of that divide. And, of course, they were born after the actual war took place. Younger Koreans seem to have been desensitized to the possibility of renewed conflict with the North as they've lived with it their entire lives. And domestic concerns here, uh, such like the high youth unemployment rate, can cause far more worry than the threat of, you know, a nuclear bomb or a military confrontation with North Korea. However, the U.S. does seem to care, of course, about what's going on. And just days after North Korea claimed to have tested its hydrogen bomb, the United States responded with a flight of a B-52 bomber from Anderson Air Force Base in Guam over the Korean Peninsula. So things have definitely heated up here, um, you know, within the last week or so. But, you know, for anyone that's lived here in Korea and for someone like yourself, Robert, who's lived here, I think, 17 years or longer, that's kind of par for the course. Um, so first off, what was your initial reaction when you heard at first they reported a, an earthquake had happened in North Korea? Then there were reports of a hydrogen bomb. So what did you think when you heard that? Well, uh, apparently, like a lot of uh, like a lot of South Koreans, um, you know, it's uh, didn't really care. <laughs> you know, I was more you know concerned about you know what I had to what I had to do that day, or you know what I was going to have for lunch. That was a laundry day. It was a be- big yeah. day for you. Well, yeah, I mean, it's like you know, this isn't the first one. Um, you, know, I, I mean, the H bomb 
you know, the, the H-bomb claim, that was, you know, that was different. That was new. Because when that first came out, it wasn't immediately kind of, no, that didn't happen. Like when that first came out, it was this new, okay, well, this is the fourth time. So they've obviously done it in the past, but this is kind of like a new flavor on the same, you know, situation that had been happening. That wasn't, that wasn't a deal for you. I mean, I completely agree with you. I remember when the landmine incident happened, um, the first time that I actually came to Korea years ago was the day that the North Korea attacked the island. So when I was in Incheon airport, soldiers running around with guns and I'd never been to South Korea. So I was like, wow, this is what South Korea is like every day. And then of course I learned that that wasn't the case. So I understand that, you know, as I mentioned, NPR was saying that younger Koreans are kind of desensitized. I think expats and certainly, you know, living here 17 years or so you yourself as well, but this really wasn't any different for you at all. Um, no, not really. I mean, okay. You know, I mean, the first one was, you know, that was a big deal. And then, you know, the second one, third one, and now this, I mean, first of all, we don't really know what they did. Um, I was listening to some, uh, commentator on this. It's, uh, they quoted, I think he was quoting, um, some U S official said something to the effect that we know more about black holes than we know about what goes on in North Korea. So, yeah, particularly with their nuclear tests, um, you know, they claim they dropped there. They, they claim they successfully detonated an H bomb. Uh, a lot of the rest of the planet isn't so sure. I don't know. Not sure. I really care. Um, you know, uh, nobody, as far as I know, got killed. Um, yeah, all underground. Yeah, it's all underground. Um, you know, I mean, you know, when, when North Korea shelled, you know, that island out in the, in the, in the West sea. Yeah. The day I landed in Korea. <laughs> right. Or, you know, when they, you, you know, sink South Korean warships, then I care. I mean, that's, you know, you know, that's loss of life there, you know? Um, but something like this, um, you know, partly is, you know, yeah, I mean, this has been going on for, you know, I mean, it's not like the North Koreans just started their nuclear program. This has been going on for, you know, well, at least going back to the Clinton administration and probably much earlier than that. Um, you know, uh, all my, my outrage and emotion got used up in those, those initial stages. And now I'm like, Oh, you know, North Korea just nuked itself again. Um, I, I will say I am impressed that they've started the, you know, they, they seem to have started the, uh, started the year, you know, quite, you know, uh, you know, they've been quite diligent, uh, you know, at the start of this year. Um, you know, not just with the nuke test, but, uh, you know, uh, they attempt, uh, they apparently, uh, we're, we're playing around with, uh, testing sub ballistic missiles that, that concerns me if they're able to get that working. Um, and uh, they're also apparently uh, going to, or at least according to CNN, it looks like they're going to try another satellite launch. But now, correct me if I'm wrong. The last one didn't go so well. I don't believe so. But uh, they're going to attempt another satellite launch. But the setup that they've got going for this is is really quite impressive. I mean, yeah, they deliver the rocket by underground railroad and the uh, the actual what they call it, the launch pad is covered by entirely covered by a big structure. So we won't know that they're going to launch until basically they launch it. And it's actually an impressive setup. And I don't know. I mean, 
again, with the nuclear program, with their space program, I mean, my, my, my chief reaction is, you know, um, why is a country as poor as North Korea, you know, putting all these resources into something like this? You know, there, I mean, there's a lot of American conservatives that think that, you know, the United States shouldn't be playing, you know, we shouldn't be playing around with, you know, space exploration that's expensive and that, you know, they're, it, that they, it should have other priorities. So why, why is North Korea doing it? Um, I mean, everybody knows why they're doing it. Um, but, yeah, I think it's, you know, given, given North Korea's e- economic situation, I mean, it really is a tragic misuse of resources. If I were a North Korean taxpayer, I'd be really pissed off. <laughs> in a different world, in a different 2016. Yeah. Well, so so then for you, does it not matter much if if it appears that this was not a hydrogen bomb? It, does it not matter much even if it had been? Do, do you know if they are able to at one point, you know, within the next couple of years and the next five years or even 10 years, if they reach hydrogen bomb, does it not really make a difference? Is it more important, like you said, the well, delivery I mean, like, vehicle? Look, I mean, it makes a difference in, the, in, in, in that they're able to, you know, get a bigger bang, right? They're, I mean, they're able to cause more destruction if they're able to wed that to a, a delivery system which it seems like they're working on as well, right? So does that concern me? I don't know. I mean, it's like, you know, what did uh, Colin Powell say about the North Korean nuclear program? You can't eat uranium. Um, you know, are they... I guess a lot of this comes down to, do you think the North Koreans are suicidal? Which, I, I mean, in my limited opinion, in my humble opinion, I would say they're not. That's one thing I don't think about when I think of North Korea as opposed to some other, I don't know if you will, to use a George W. Bush term, like evil, axis of evil. I, I would never say North Korea is suicidal. Well, look, I mean, you know, um, say what you will about, you know, communism, but, you know, there is no afterlife here. If you screw up in this one, there is no, you know, there is no going to paradise. Right. So, um, yeah, I just, I don't really think the North Koreans are suicidal. I don't think they're crazy. I mean, I think there's a lot of, I mean, I mean, obviously you've heard, um, a lot of the commentary. Um, and I even hear from comment commentators. I respect, you know, that, you know, the North Korean leadership's insane. They're crazy. They're irrational. I don't think they are, um, evil perhaps. Um, but, you know, they have an opera, they have a modus operandi that's that at least they think works for them. And, um, yeah, I don't really think they're out to, you know, I don't think they're out to commit suicide, at least intentionally. My big concern with North Korea is that they might do something accidentally that like chain reaction sets things in motion. No well, going back. I, I mean, just to give an example, I mean, you know, a couple of years back, they were trying to help the Syrians, you know, you know, develop a nuclear program, right? You know, that's the kind of thing that would, you know, if they're willing to do that, it's who else are they willing to, mm-hmm. you know, sell technology to? You know, they might not realize that what they're doing is, especially with the United States, because we, we issue red lines all the time and, you know, we don't always follow through with them against the Syria. Um, so if you're North Korea, it might be a little bit difficult to determine which red line 
is just rhetoric in which red line will you know lead to those B-52s flying over Pyongyang. Well, so let's talk about that then. Let's move away a little bit from North Korea's actions and look at how South Korea and um, you know the U.S. are reacting. So what, what do you think about the decision by the ROK to bring back those loudspeakers? Does it matter at all? I mean, it's almost we, how I feel about the B-52 uh, flight, which I think you're going to want to talk about as well. I mean, you know, and the loudspeakers, I mean, again, it's all it's I don't. You know, North Korea and South Korea have been trading propaganda broadcasts and, you know, uh, you know, not just propaganda broadcasts, but, you know, flying, you know, you know, flying over, uh, you know, flying, what do you call those pamphlets over the DMZ going both ways? Yeah, the the balloons uh, that they send over North Korea has had some drones crash in South Korea, you know, in the last couple of years. Right. Um, I mean, this th- these propaganda broadcasts. I mean, of course, we also have other. I mean, the United States runs what the Voice of uh, Voice of America. Yeah, VOA. Yeah. Right. Uh, you know, Korean language service. So, I mean, you know, these propaganda broadcasts have been going on since you know forever, really, um, and they haven't changed anything. You know, if if you're a frontline North Korean soldier, I'm sure you've heard all this stuff before. Mm. Um, I think from the North Korean perspective, what's much more dangerous for them in terms of regime stability is stuff not coming across the DMZ, but coming across the Sino-Korean border. Yeah. You know, d- you know, DVDs, music, you know, you know, um, I mean, you made fun of K-pop earlier, but say what you will, um, about K-pop and Korean dramas, but you know, they have an audience. Oh, yeah. no. Well, I mean, I, I, I'm not the biggest fan of K-pop, but I will be the first to admit that, oh, yes, it is popular. Yes. Right. I mean, shit, it's on the family guy you know, last week. So, I mean, to bring it back, I, I mean, I, I don't think the bro- – I know the North Koreans react sensitively to the broadcast, although I don't know how much of that is simply North Korean you know, sa- you know, saber rattling and, you know, and how much of it is I'm actually feeling, you know, feeling a degree of, of threat from these broadcasts. I think more importantly in terms of the broadcast is how it affects the, the locals living along the the South Koreans who live along the you know the towns along the South along the DMZ. Yeah, and I, and I mentioned that there there's some uh, anxiety that's going on there that I'm sure is just what was happening before when the whole mine thing was going on that was sort of solved but not really right and rightfully so. I mean, um, you know, if you're living anywhere near the, I mean, aside aside from the noise factor. <laughs> Right. You also have, you know, the North Koreans threatening on occasion to launch artillery strikes or fire at the, you know, at the uh, at the loudspeakers. You know, North Korea has shown a propensity to they have shown a willingness in the past to engage in very risky behavior along the northern limit line and along the DMZ. Um yeah, if I were a local, I'd be very, very nervous. And that's not to say that, you know, the government needs to, that's not to say that the government uh, should be dictated to, you know, or that the government should base its, you know, national security policy on the concerns of, of, of uh, merely on the concerns of residents along the DMZ, but it is something that they need to factor in. Um, uh, you know, and also, you know, and, and also do a cost of, you know, cost benefit analysis to this. I mean, 
how much does South Korea, aside from saying, okay, we're sticking it to the North Koreans, what tangible benefits does, you know, starting those propaganda broadcasts really bring? I mean, especially when, as far as I know, um, you know, South Korea hasn't, you know, stopped, um, they haven't stopped cooperation on the Gaesung Industrial Complex. Well, I think I just read that they're, they're lowering the amount of people there. But right. Yeah, it's still going. Right. I mean, you know, okay, you know, you start the propaganda broadcast because you, know, you show, a, look how tough we're getting with the North Koreans, but you still have that going on. Right. Um, you know, it would seem to me if you really wanted to show you're getting tough with the North Koreans, that's where you'd start. You know, do something that actually hurts. Um, but, you know, right now it's just all, you know, it's all hot air. You know, to be, you know, and, uh, you know, and the South Koreans aren't the only ones here. I mean, with the B-52 rate, yeah, the B-52 flight, you know, I mean, we've done it before. And I guess, yeah, it makes a great picture when you have a B-52 flying, flanked, flanked, you know, flanked by American and South Korean jet fighters. I guess it's a, it's a powerful symbol of, of allied resolve. But really, the North Koreans, I have to assume, no, we're not going to bomb them. I mean, sure, they might act like they think, oh, the American, you know, look how threatening the Americans are going to be. We're really scared, right? You know, don't do that. We might do something crazy, but I don't know. And, and who knows? They might, you know, just because that's how the North Koreans roll, right? I mean, they, they really like to live on the edge. Um, <laughs> Those North Koreans, they, that's how they roll. They really like the edge. Well, you know, I mean, but ultimately, you know, in the, yeah, what does that really do um you know there's something else too that i i I, you know i I tweeted this and put on my facebook but it it does it is worth noting that um you know if the north yeah even if the north koreans have managed to test an h-bomb we are talking about technology that goes back you know to the 1950s more more specifically it goes back to 1954 when the united states tested its first uh, thermonuclear weapon, right? The B-50, so how do you respond to North Korea, you know, uh, you know, testing the technology of the 1950s? Well, I was going to say, they yeah, with, send something like the B-52. The B-52, which is technically older than the, ther- than, than the thermonuclear weapon. <laughs> it's older than the H-bomb the, by a couple of months. I mean, I, I don't, you know, I don't want to, I do run the risk of being a little too flippant about this and a little bit, you know, blase. I mean, I think things could, you know, with anything involving North Korea, um, things could potentially turn ugly. Um, I don't think there's going to be a nuclear war, but I do worry that, you know, in the process of responding to this test or in the process of, you know, you know, as tensions get ratcheted up, people might get killed. And that concerns me, you know, not, you know, I don't think, you know, like I said, I don't think the North Koreans are going to drop the uh, H-bomb on Seattle or San Francisco, um, which I was looking at their uh, current missile capabilities. I guess they're capable of doing. I, I mean, I don't think that's going to happen, but I do worry about, you know, South Korean soldiers, you know, in the DMZ getting, uh, you know, getting themselves, you know, getting killed or, you know, South Korean sailors in the West sea getting killed, 
um, or, you know, villagers living in Yuncheon or Paju or Bengyongdo getting killed, right? That concerns me. Something that I mentioned earlier, specifically coming from NPR, the fact that younger Koreans don't care about this as much as, you know, older Koreans and they've been living with it their entire lives. So maybe they're a little desensitized. Um, do you think that is something that causes concern of its own? Is it a problem that younger Koreans aren't as concerned with North Korea? Or is this maybe even a good thing to show that this is how they're dealing with the constant threat of what could be a, you know, a typical military conflict or a nuclear conflict? This is something that comes up all the time here in South Korea, the disconnect. You know, a lot of younger people don't want reunification. Well, I mean, you know, and, and, and not surprisingly so, um, you know, that's, you know, Germany, which, you know, you know, East Germany, um, you know, had a lot of problems, but it was nowhere near as isolated as North Korea is. And the gap between West Germany and East Germany was nowhere near as big as the gap, uh, between the South and in the North. And that gap keeps growing. Um, if I, again, um, if I were a young South Korean, in fact, heck, as, as a guy who lives here, you know, as a taxpayer, um, yeah, you've got to, you know, the prospect of, you know, not just the expense, but the social dislocations, uh, you know, the potential uh, social upheavals that would be caused uh, by unification, you know, that would give anybody pause. And I say that as a guy who, you know, earnestly wants to see the two Koreas unified, you know, both, you know, for the long-term, you know, benefit, of, you know, both for the long-term prosperity and benefit of the Korean nation, but also, um, you know, just to see the end of a uh, regime that I think, you know, to, not to put too fine a point on it, I think the world would be much better off without. Um, but that said, yeah, it's not going to be cheap. It's not going to be easy. Um, you know, I think in the end it'll be, um, you know, I think in the end, it uh, in the long run, it'll, it'll be of tremendous benefit to everybody. But, like, yeah, I mean, you know, especially if you're a young person now and you're dealing with, you know, you don't have a job, um, the job market's tight. Yeah, you, you might have gone to, you know, the quote unquote best schools in Korea, but you're still living at home. You don't have a job. Um, I mean, the list goes on from there, but those are the those are the big ones. Well, I mean, basically, you're dealing with the same problems of millennials and some of the same you know attitudes that millennials are dealing with, you know, pretty much everywhere else in the developed world. Right. So well, I, th I think I think the youth unemployment rate in Korea is one of the highest, if not the highest in the OECD. So it is a little different. Right. Well, I mean, but it's a, it's a, but it's, it's a difference of degree. Right. Um, you know, and, 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 you know, not just the, it's not just the young people, but even, you know, middle-aged people or people who, you know, or just basically anybody who doesn't have that recollection of, you know, the, what do they call it? You know, don't have that recollection of, uh, of the Korean war or unification or, or unified Korea. Um, yeah. North Korea is basically, another, you know, North Korea is basically another planet. Um, and you just, you just have more concerns. And plus, I mean, you're just, you're desensitized to it. 
I mean, I bet I, you know, I haven't spent, you know, I've only spent basically half my life here. Um, and I'm just, des- I'm all right. And I'm desensitized to it. Right. <laughs> um, you know, I mean, as you could tell by my responses to the North Korean, you know, as you can see by my responses to the H bomb, I mean, this, this thing goes on all the time, every year, you know, I mean, North Korea does something crazy world goes, uh, or say North Korea does something seemingly crazy world gets upset. Um, tensions ratchet up, but South Koreans rather calm. I mean, this happens every time you talk to a South Korean, they're the least upset in the entire world when something happens with North Korea. Right. I mean, it's always amusing because I mean, you know, when, once North Korea does something, the Western press and, and, and with good reason, I mean, I'm not criticizing the Western press here and somebody, you know, you know, a state like North Korea testing an H bomb, that's, that's newsworthy. Right. I mean, but yeah, there's there's concern uh, in the press, and to be fair, there's there's concern in the press in South Korea. You know, if you pick up the you know the the Chosun Ilbo or, or especially the conservative newspapers, they, they talk about it. Um, they're concerned. The government's obviously concerned. But yeah, I mean, if you're you know the, the person on the street, you know, it's like yeah, it's you know you you tune it out. I mean, I suppose if you had to think about it every day. You know, you drive yourself crazy, right? Um, so you eventually tune it out, and you eventually, you know, kind of, you know, you, you come to grips with the, you know, or say you 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 accept the situation. I mean, and again, uh, how old are you? I I'm 29. I'll be 30 in about a month. Okay, so you don't remember the Cold War, really? No, I, I've I've read about it. <laughs> yeah, I was born in '86. I mean, it wasn't really part of my life. Right. I mean. You know, I'm old enough to remember it, and you know, um, you know, yeah, the North Koreans may have a handful of nuclear bombs. You know, the Soviet Union, and the, well, they say the United States and the Soviet Union had pointed at each other enough, you know, nuclear weapons to end human civilization. And sure, you realize that. You know, shit. You know, the next day, you know, um, yeah, at any moment, the uh, the balloon could go up, and uh, the you know the missiles could launch, and uh, you'd have about an hour to kiss your ass goodbye. Um, but you didn't really think about it every day. You know, you just went on with your life, and uh, you know, most people, you know, you know, for most people. You know, uh, you know, Armageddon didn't really factor into their daily lives. You know, I mean, it was part of the culture, obviously. I mean, I mean yeah, they, I've, I've seen those old movies. Well, I forget what, there's this really awesome movie that took place like somewhere in the Midwest, like around Nebraska. And they have to like, oh, the day after, yeah, they have the to scrape after. off the topsoil and everyone has like weird skin conditions and everything. But I, I and right. once again, I lived in Berlin for a year and I worked for a radio station and we were getting our preparations underway to celebrate the 20th anniversary of the Mauer fall and you know, all that stuff. I was trying to call, um, gosh, who's that? Who's that celebrity idiot? David Hasselhoff. I was trying to call David Hasselhoff's people to get an interview for the radio station because he had that leather jacket with like lights and was singing on the wall and it was being torn down and everything. But but like you were saying, I mean, East Berlin was speaking with West Berlin all the way through that entire you know, Cold War period about realistic issues like how do we handle sanitation? How do we handle plumbing and all those things? So even though 
both sides had those nuclear weapons aimed at each other, they still regularly communicated. The only communication that's coming out of North Korea all the time is just like, we are going to F you up. So it is a little bit of a different situation, even though, once again, I didn't experience it. It just seems a little bit different to me. Um, one thing that I want to move in here before we uh, uh, end the podcast, this will be a little shorter than our first episode. Um, what do you think then is an appropriate answer to this test? Or if you want to expand it, what needs to be done with North Korea, in your opinion, just in general to kind of end this nonsense? What what steps should be done? You kind of laughed off the B-52 a little bit, but you also laughed off the test of this hydrogen bomb. So, 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 <laughs> yeah. so, so, so what needs to be done? I mean, obviously people are getting desensitized because things have gotten so bad. So well, what do we do? Honestly, I really don't think, I'm not sure anything can be done. I mean, you know, North Korea really seems intent on getting that bomb. I mean, suppose you, I mean, there's, there is a school of, of, of thought out there, um, you know, that believes that if you engage North Korea uh, seriously enough, um, that the North Koreans would be willing to sell their their nuclear weapons program um, at the right price. Um. I'm skeptical. I'm skeptical that the North Koreans can be convinced to sell that off. I mean, I, they'll definitely take money to pretend. I was going to say, they've been very good at <laughs> making deals in the past. <laughs> right. They're more than happy to take your money, but I don't really, you know, think that they're willing to give it up completely because you know for them okay let's take them let's take the let's let's take them for their own at their own word for for a moment um or try to i mean i i don't really like to try to see things from north korea's perspective but <laughs> you know as an as a, you know as an intellectual exercise let's try it theoretical situation uh, okay. you're in control um, you know they look at a country like libya Right, where Libya voluntarily gave up its weapons of mass destruction. Mm -hmm. And what eventually happened. Yeah. Right. Um, you know, um, so they're thinking the reason why we're untouchable and countries like Libya aren't is because we have the bomb and. Libya didn't. I don't think that's actually true, mind you. I think North Korea has been essentially untouchable for a very, very long time, and it's not because of the bomb. But it's it, cer it certainly of, doesn't hurt. I don't think it really. Actually, I would. I might I might disagree. Okay. Well, I mean, um, I, I think your 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 depth of of knowledge here is is larger than mine. But I I've well, always I, I thought I that I know shit. But I mean, <laughs> what I'm thinking here, I is, just always thought that North Korea having this bomb or wanting to have nuclear capabilities made perfect sense because the people that don't, they get taken out. Things happen to them. You think if, if, if Saddam Hussein had an actual nuclear capability, what happened would have happened. I mean, you just mentioned Libya. I mean, I'm not siding with any of these parties. I'm just saying that once you have certain things, it's, it's hard to kind of get you out. Well, there's two, uh, there's a couple of ways to look at this. Um, 
in the case of North Korea, North Korea's primary the, the 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 thing about North Korea that keeps most people that keeps the United States and South Korea honest is not the nuclear weapons program. I mean, we don't even know how weaponized their nuclear weapon program, whether they can, you know, whether they can practically deliver a device. Sure, but just right? the fact that they test, I mean, it's more weaponized than nothing. Well, what we do know is weaponized are all the artillery tubes along the DMZ that are ready to pound soul, you know, you know, within a couple of minutes. Mm. Right? Excellent point. So that's the thing that really you know, that's the thing that keeps strategic planners up at night. That's the kind of thing that, um, you know, that's the reason why we haven't, you know, taken North Korea out. Well, I mean, there's a couple of In reasons addition why. To, that's, yeah, yeah. That's, that's when we're thinking, you know, when we're making our list of reasons not to attack North Korea, at the top of the list is not the nuclear, well, who knows now, but for most of you know the cold war history or most of our our interaction with north korea history of interaction with north korea that's been the thing that's you know kept us honest yeah that's, every every know, time i've heard an expert and i and i've i've gone to many of these things i i've even in this last semester participated in a very high profile um, north korean human rights seminar that took place here in seoul every time an expert gets up and talks about the possibility of some sort of conflict with north korea the first thing they always mention is the fact that Everything is aimed on Seoul. Forget all this new technology. For years, everything has been aimed at Seoul. And it's all been dug, and it's all been covered up, and it's all ready to just shoot everyone here. I mean, I, I've right. heard that multiple times. Right. I mean, the, the, you know, um, that's the thing that's, you know, that's North Korea's real deterrent. Where the nuclear bomb might actually hurt them is that as long as it was just artillery shells aimed at Seoul... Um, the United States might, you know, wouldn't risk um, attacking North Korea. But when you factor in the risk of North Korea being able to deliver nuclear, or, or the risk of allowing North Korea to develop the technology to develop uh, to deliver a nuclear warhead to the United States, then the United States might start thinking, hmm maybe we'll risk it. Mm -hmm. I see that. Right? Yeah, that's a, it's an interesting um, argument. You know, the real dangerous situation is, you know, when you're developing the technology, once you have that technology and the North Koreans are able to weaponize, oh, even then, I mean, the question is, you know, I mean, the United States and the Soviet Union spent, you know, basically half a century gaming, this, you know, gaming these sort of things out. Okay, let's say North Korea has a nuclear weapon. This question, how many? Did the North Koreans have the capability of, I don't know, uh, surviving a first strike? And are they are they capable of, you know, having a deter a nuclear deterrent? You know, we can get the the actual term for it, but basically, do they have the ability? Is there is their nuclear weapon stockpile large enough or protected enough to survive an American first strike? Do they have the ability to to retaliate? Do they have the capability to de uh, develop anything? It's called a what is it? A uh, second strike capability. Yeah. yeah. Um, but but it, it it just seems at this point, like while you lay all this out, the answers are mostly no. With North well, Korea, I mean, I at this don't point. know. I mean, I mean you, you don't know, but they're they're on the lighter end of things at this point. Possible that the North Koreans could, 
you know, I don't know, hide nuclear weapons in a way that the Americans, you know, might not be able to get all of them. So then they need to factor that. I mean, one of the things is it's not nearly as black and white as maybe the North Koreans want the world to think it is. And I have to think the North Koreans know this. So then you, you mentioned maybe you don't know, but I forget how you said it, if you can do anything or, but so then what do you do? Do you, do you just wait for something to collapse? Do you just kind of maintain what we have right now, even though what we have right now is a little crazy and we, well, look, I mean, I'll be honest. Um, the, the country with nuclear weapons that scares me the most, it's not North Pakistan? Korea, Pakistan, yeah, Pakistan, yeah. right. Um, you know, not to, not to speak ill of our allies on the war in terror, but, um, you know, Pakistan is, you know, that's, yeah, that concerns me. And it can actually concerns me more than North Korea. Um, <laughs> we should have started this podcast with some news on Pakistan and we should have asked you how you felt about that. Maybe there would have been less, well, look, less I mean, comedy. Look, the United, the, look, you know, the United States has, you know, it's, it survived. It, it managed to accommodate itself to, you know, living on, you know, living under the nuclear, the, the Soviet nuclear threat. Um, the Chinese have a, a, a substantial nuclear, you know, pose a substantial nuclear threat to the United States. Um, Pakistan, you know, who knows what could happen there. Well, let, 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 let's try to nail this down then. So sure. short term within the next month because you know as this is is this could completely go away just like other things have or it could stretch out for a little bit of time you know just this current crisis so you go from a month to six months to a year what 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 would you either expect to see or what would you suggest that should be done should there just be more b-52 flights more talks inter-korean talks should should there be more sanctions one thing that i've heard a lot about lately is that there's actually not that many sanctions on north korea as one might think there are no, there aren't. I mean, and you could, there's always w more effective ways to sanction a North Korean. It's a question of whether, even with sanctions, though, I mean, um, yeah, I'm sorry for sounding jaded, but um, I think in the past, especially when you've, I mean, I think when they, for example, when they targeted the, uh, you know, the North Korean bank accounts in Macau, right? Uh, you're able, you know, when you target those sanctions in a smart way, you can get, you know, you can, you can, and you can get, you can induce a certain degree of, of self-reflection in North Korea. Um, but it's not that easy to do. And ultimately you have to weigh your, your projected, you know, the projected impact of sanctions against, the you know the impact that China you know continued Chinese uh, assistance to North Korea is going to provide you know will the sanctions be able to overcome and uh, you know basically you got to figure out a way to get the Chinese to to play ball on, on sanctions. So I, I've been seeing this written up a lot lately, and and I think there's at least some promise to it. So so perhaps the way to North Korea is by getting a little bit more out of China. Well, I mean, look, but I, I've been reading it too, and, and I hope it's true, but, you know, like North Korean nuclear tests, I keep, I've been hearing about China, you know, China's getting upset in North Korea. China's look like it's finally had, it. I've been hearing about that forever. <laughs> Trouble right? in the Middle East. Um, I mean, yeah, these are, these are headlines yeah, right, that exactly, aren't just being you know, written today. Exactly. Right. You know, um, 
So I'll be, you know, I'm not saying it's not going to happen, but I would prefer to see it before I believe it. Um, and I mean, there is a school again. There's another school of thought. I think it was uh, oh, what's his name? He uh, say occasionally writes over at the National Review. Um, oh God, what's his name? I forget. But basically, there's a school of thought out there that says if you if you really want the North if you really want the Chinese to take the North Korean nuclear program seriously. Then what you do is you gotta you know drop hints to the Taiwanese and the Japanese that if you you know were to you know find yourself um, you know accidentally starting your own you know indigenous nuclear weapons programs, uh, the United States might not do anything to stop you, and then wait until see and wait you know and then uh, use those as a bargaining tool with the Chinese. Mm-hmm. And say, you know, look, uh, you know, if you want us to lean on the Taiwanese and Japanese to get them to stop developing nuclear weapons, then you need to, you know, you need to do a bit more with, you know, help, you know, keeping the North Koreans uh, from developing bomb or from uh, developing more bombs, as it were. Um, But I don't see that happening. That takes way, you know, that... uh, one way to say it is that takes more cojones than you know most countries are you know you know most responsible world powers are able to to muster. Um, you know, another way to look at it is you know that would be you know so you know that would be horribly irresponsible on the Americans' part to you know encourage you know its allies in the region to develop nuclear weapons. Well, if there's, so, if there's one thing the United States has never done is been horribly irresponsible. So <laughs> there's no chance that could happen. Yeah, you know, obviously we do boneheaded things on, you know, probably, you know, on on a on on a basis that's, you know, probably too frequent to be healthy. But yeah, the, but that but, but you, what you just described but, does seem a different type of situation that would be a little different than some of the other things. That would that would take um, a degree of either um, foolhardiness or or strategic daring. Um, I, I just can't see anybody doing it. Um, I mean, granted, the Taiwanese have on occasion try have I think twice in their history attempted to develop nuclear weapons and the Americans basically quashed it. South Korea, for that matter, you know, during the Park Jong-e period, they actively tried to develop nuclear weapons. Yeah, there was a scientist that came back who died mysteriously, I, I believe. Right. And, you know, and, and, right, and again, the Americans put a lot of pressure on the South Koreans to, you know, cut that out in a way that I think we, we'd hope the Chinese would do, but the Chinese are either unable or, and I'm not sure which one it is, whether they're unable or unwilling to do it, um, so yeah, I mean, I, I, although to be honest, I'm also on record as saying, I think the South Koreans should develop their own nuclear weapons. There it is. There it is. I mean, so, um, you know, I mean, that's a discussion for another time because that's a long one. I mean, but again, I'm, 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 you know, on record for saying that I, I see no reason why the South Koreans shouldn't develop their own independent nuclear arsenal. I mean, I think there's an argument to be made that it wouldn't be as helpful or, you know, might even be somewhat counterproductive to their security needs, considering that basically they, they might lose the American nuclear umbrella in certain 
cooperation in nuclear technologies with the United States. But on the other hand, you know, um, you know, the whole, you know, the whole denuclearization of the Korean Peninsula deal was, you know, was supposed to encourage, you know, was supposed to get the North Koreans to stop, you know, stop their development of nuclear weapons. That didn't happen. You know, now the South Koreans look at China as a nuclear power. North Korea is, you know, a de facto North Korea, a nuclear power. Now the Russians are a nuclear power. You know, um, if I went to South Koreans and say, you know, these are all countries that are either enemies of the United States or, you know, potential, you know, uh, potential rivals of the United States. They all have nukes. You know, we're an ally in good standing. You know, why can't we have nukes? You know, the British have nukes. I mean, shit, you, you know. The, you know, the British used to test their nuclear weapons in Nevada. <laughs> so, um, you know, the French have nukes. The Israelis have nukes. Why can't we have nukes? You know, so there's that. Well, so it sounds like there's lots of ideas. And it sounds like they range from tried and true to a little bit crazy. But um, this probably wasn't the most focused podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's but it just I mean, I guess it just shows that. uh I mean, I don't know. There, I mean, there's a reason why things have gotten maybe perhaps so bad with North Korea because it's complicated. And um, as you mentioned, with at least one scenario of, of perhaps having, you know, sort of like a nuclear trade off with, with China in, in a power struggle, it would perhaps take a little bit of, you know, um, oh, tenacity to, to try to, to put something together that would maybe tip the balance of what we're seeing right now. And maybe no one's willing to do that because of the, you know, consequences that could erupt. So yeah, you know, yeah, that's, a, that's, a, that's a, like I said, you know, I mean, that's a, that's some seriously high, you know, you know, high stakes poker. If you're, you know, if you're going to try to, you know, play dueling nuclear programs. Well, let's see what happens if, uh, if Bernie gets in, <laughs> if he would try to do anything. And then if, uh, if Trump gets in, Ooh, well, We'll have we live to, in interesting times. We'll have to. Yes, we do. Let's let's end it that way, Robert. We live in interesting times when Donald Trump could perhaps become the president of these United States of the. Wow, I do. I yeah, that's that's rough. All right, well let's uh, let's call it a day. Always good to speak with you, Rob, and we'll uh, we'll talk with you next week. Talk to you next week.